Well, howdy. This is Brian Melanson, and you've tuned in to this episode of the Altitude Sessions podcast, coming from our studio here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Today, we're going to have a discussion with Neil Sofian. Conversation is going to be around conversational AI and how that's going to influence consumer purchasing decisions. Should be an interesting show. Let's dive right on in. Well, okay, we are just back from our Formulate discussions down in Atlanta, Buckhead. And given the time, effort, energy, and schedule associated with that group and how it all lined up this particular week, I'm actually, and I being Brian Melanson, I'm taking a, a few days to rest and recover and also to start turning our attention toward our Formulate discussions coming up in Jackson Hole, our marquee event that is on the calendar for October 14 to 16 at the Four Seasons. If you're still thinking through your involvement in that particular group, we've got you know somewhere around a three or four week recruiting window left. If you have interest in some of the discussions that are forthcoming there, this is always our top level gathering. This is always our marquee, our marquee business strategy sessions that bring some of the best and most trendy thematic ideas that are going on in the industry, bring some of the better top-end networking that you can do in the industry. If you have interest in being part of that, reach out to us at hello at m4innovation.com, and we'll be more than happy to get you additional information on that particular group. I would say the Atlanta group was a, a really good gathering this year. It's, you know, harkened back to the scientific format that we've used for the longest time on these business groups, which is really to keep the size below 50 so that you don't cross that networking threshold to where all of a sudden the opportunity to meet and explore ideas in the room, it starts to get a little bit less manageable when you start to get above that. So, you know, the group uh, had actually right at 48 folks. It was, uh, it was a wonderful set of discussions on product and distribution. I think there are a number of things that will be tangible in the market to make an impact that will come out of some of the discussions that were there. And what you know, we're always struck with is just the, just the breadth of opinions, how people attack issues from multiple perspectives, and then you know how folks can navigate the room based on those those discussions, uh, and, and kind of create their own their own river, if you will, and swim in the direction they want to go. Not all paths are the same. Not all partnerships that are available in that room are the same, and not all folks that are there may apply to some of the things that you're trying to do. But there's always more than enough folks there if you're willing to take the networking journey and share ideas and share more about yourself and just your name and your title and the company where you work but actually get deeper than that it seems like there's always opportunities that arise and sometimes they may be surprising things things that you weren't planning on uncovering or discovering until you got there so that's the magic of these groups it's the reason why we continue to put these groups together for our top executives that we you know work with day in and day out on the on an advisory basis and that's part of why this week I'm going to turn over this podcast to Fan Hughes, and she's going to interview Neil Sofian, who's the CEO of Tuzag up in Seattle. Neil's doing a lot of really interesting things with uh, voice capability and technologies. He's doing a lot of inf interesting stuff with conversational AI to actually make these voice assistants and communication programs and others uh, feel and seem a little bit more intuitive, a little bit more friendly, with the outcome being how can we drive better purchasing habits? How can we collect the information that we're looking to collect from consumers that may be hard to get today? And if we 
ask nicely, sometimes we find that we can get it. And, and Neil's going to expand your mind on just how these things come together. Now, this, this session was actually part of what we did in Atlanta in our product and distribution discussion. This won't be the same conversation that was had there, but it is a, uh, a kind of an outlier part of what we what we were thinking through that we couldn't get to in the room. And Van's going to take you through some of that that Q&A and let Neil tell stories because uh, Neil's a wonderful storyteller. He's a, w a really deep expert in this particular area. We're pleased to have him as part of our community. You know, but what we won't do and what we always talk through is we won't violate the, the privacy of the discussions that were had in Atlanta. You know, you've got to be in these private business and strategy groups to really experience how things work and to really experience how we've taken an effort all and, and taken planning all the way down to the nth detail based in science and how to make your brain work better, how to network better, and how to maximize the time that you spend there. And that's, it's an experience that until you do it, it's hard to describe, uh, which is not the greatest marketing ploy, but it's harder to describe. And But once you're there and you're part of it, uh, people tend to, to get it immediately and start to really find ways to get engaged in this community. And that's really what we're all about here at M4. So with that being said, I will be back here in a couple of weeks. Enjoy the time with Fan and the interview with Neil, and I will catch you here in a few days. Hi, everyone. Uh, Fan Hughes here with M4 Innovation. I am our marketing and community executive community manager here with M4. And today I'm taking over for Brian, who's taking a little bit of a break. Uh, he'll be back on our next podcast. But today I'm here with Neil Sofian from 2Zag. Uh, we heard from Neil just this past week at M4's Formulate in Atlanta, our product and distribution focused group. Um, and we're excited to kind of have them on the podcast and chat through a little bit more of those um, topics that we explored in Atlanta. So, Neil, I'm going to let you introduce yourself first, and we'll go from there. You want to share a little bit more about yourself? Hi, I'm Neil Sofian. I'm the CEO of Tuzag. Um, I'm a public health guy by training. Uh, I've been in the behavior change space for the past 40 years and um, have really looked at the notion of how do we look at behavior change and then scale it so that we can actually make a difference at a population level. And what's interesting about that to me is that uh, the secret of using technology is to do lots of people, you have to do it one person at a time. Yeah. So um, thinking about Tuzag and, and the specific work you're doing right now, and a, a lot of what we got into in Atlanta was voice technology and, um, and how voice technology is growing and, and what it could look like in the U.S. in the next five to ten years. Um, so at yep. tu Tuzag, you guys are using um, digital conversational AI uh, to you know, create these voice assistants um, to help you know, patients converse about their patient care or potentially buy um, or decide on health products when they're um, shopping for different insurance products. So can you share just a little bit more about your mission at Tuzac? Yeah, uh, our mission is to not so much try and be an intervention as it is to be uh, help build the relationship that will encourage individuals to make the changes they need to make within the, the flow of their life um, so that whether it's making a decision on insurance, whether it's making a decision to find a doctor, it, whether it's making use of your benefits as an employee or deciding that you actually want to quit smoking. 
or that you need support as you're aging at home. Um, any of the above is how do you build the conversations um, that can come through either voice or actually even through your speaking through your television in the future um, or any other kind of device that we can then help build the relationship with you that gives you the trust and the desire to have a relationship with us that will then allow you to get connected to the things you need to do. Okay. So with voice technology right now in the U.S., um, can you share a little bit more about, and you've, we've chatted about this before, and I don't think a lot of people know how much voice is growing right now, but can you share a little bit more about the ubiquity of, of voice technology in the homes across the U.S., what that looks like right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think people don't get that like 120 million smart speakers are already out there, and that we're figuring by the, this time next year, 50% uh, of all searches, uh, you know, where when people think of doing a Google search or, you know, a Yahoo search or whatever, or Bing, uh, that 50% of it's all going to be done by voice, uh, whether you're talking to your smart speaker or, seriously, you'll be talking through your TV or you're talking through your phone or whatever, you know, whether it's Siri or whomever. Yeah, 50%. And that this is growing by almost 800% a year. I mean, so the trajectory around this is, is just stunning, and, and a lot of it is is um, how it becomes common within the fit of our life. And I think some people don't even notice it because some of the some of the searches now are simple, like give me directions or tell me the temperature or play you know play Lyle Love It for me or I think you you've already said Steely Dan or something like that. You know, they're simple searches. Uh, but we're going to be using it more and more as it fits into the mix of our lives. Just like once upon a time we used to just think of, like, how would we use a mobile phone? It would just be a phone, and now it's become ubiquitous in so many things we do. I think voice itself will become ubiquitous in how we actually look for things. Uh, you know, that for some of us, we'll still use our thumbs to, to key things in, but for a lot of us, we'll just quit using our thumbs and start using our voice. Yeah, and some of the questions we had in Atlanta – initially sort of dealt with how this uh, your your specific technology at Tuzag like fits into their Alexa speaker or their Google Home how like how does that work can you explain you know is this an integrated sort of application within those technologies um and how Jamie how you how you talk to Jamie essentially so we have built our own technology that's that's essentially a tailoring technology for building the conversation uh, so that way we can we can build profiles on folks and then based upon that create on-the-fly conversations both with what we already know about you plus what you say so that we can go grab third-party data, which might be anything from claims data to knowing what movies you like uh, and therefore knowing, you know, if you like Lawrence of Arabia, we can say, you know, we know you like Peter O'Toole uh, and, and build that into a conversation. We've, done, we've built that technology. What we then do is then push it out to different endpoints. So then whether that becomes a skill on your Amazon device or Google Home or as a mobile app through, through uh, Alexa or something like that or through your computer or eventually through an endpoint through your, you know, through your speaker on your Comcast, if, you know, because you have a Comcast speaker or whatever. Any of those will become just endpoints in how you communicate. Uh, and I think that's actually an important point. I think there are... People out there who are trying to build things like, oh, well, we're going to build something for the Amazon device, or we're going to build something for Siri, or we're going to build something for, for chat, a chat bot that sits on your computer. 
and, and then it's specialized to just either that mode or even sometimes even that device. There are people who are going to build Amazon devices that are just for health. And so you might have a smart speaker sitting there and then another smart speaker for health. And it's like, no, that's not the way the world works. Um, what you want to do is if you already have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or you already have a, a, a Dot or an Echo or a, a, a Google Home, then you're just going to want to use the devices of your life within the context of as your life is going and then make use of that and integrate it in. And our job is to be essentially the middleware that sits behind all that, that allows all that to happen, creates the conversations, and then back and forth through a conversation pushes information out, receives information in, and then continues to back and forth that and, and do it through any means and mode that makes sense. Yeah, so like meeting the consumer where they are, not having to have the consumer go out and buy another piece of hardware that you know they need to figure out how to fit exactly. into their life. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's been, um, you know, a lot of times we've talked about uh, for people in the, in the world of patient care uh, that you need to, if you, if you can't figure out how to get a, uh, for a doctor the information into their workflow, for example, in the world of EMRs, Epic or Cerner or something like that, I've got to be able to get the information so it just flows in the course of how they're doing their job. And if you can't do that, they will never use any, inf any health information you give them which is fair. I would say the same is true with people, but instead of thinking of workflow, think of this as life flow. I am busy leading my life all day. One part of that is health, and health can be my care, my insurance, my benefits, my health behaviors. But if I can't integrate it into the flow of my life, into the meaning of my life, um, then you've got no chance of actually getting widespread adoption. And part of that is both in the nature of how you talk to people, but also it's what modes you talk to them in, and that has to be literally in the flow of their life as well. And that means their devices have to, to match up, and it has to just be a ubiquitous part of how they're going through their day anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we talk about the power of these voice bots within, you know, voice assistants within the healthcare space, whether that's through care or you know, patient care or um, provider provider care, health insurance distribution, because these bots are collecting data. But what is special, and you've kind of mentioned it a few times, but I'd love for you to chat a little bit more about it, but what's so special about this kind of data is that it's beyond a health record and it's beyond uh, claims you know, history. It's, it's, a, it's more personal. Um, and why is that type of data so powerful? So before I answer it, let me ask you a couple questions. So, Van, what, what do you do for fun? Uh, take my dog on hikes. <laughs> okay, so you have pets. So I now know you have a pet. You like to hike. Um, who, who, what kind of people do you like to hang out with? Oh, man. Um, extroverts, people that like the same things as I do. Yeah. Okay. Do you like movies? I do like movies. I, like t I think I like television shows better, though. Okay, what kind of shows you like the best? Anything on HBO. Um, big Game of Thrones buff. Have to admit that. Yeah, well, hopefully you, you don't end up uh, like a queen. Cersei <laughs> <laughs> or otherwise. Yeah, I wouldn't make it uh, so well. <laughs> yeah, you'd be closer to the Sansa. 
Okay. Uh, but that's okay. Now, see, so now these are questions I'm asking you that have nothing to do with health. However, I am now engaging you in a conversation, right? And I just learned a bunch of stuff about you um, that allows me now, when if I want to talk to you about a health issue, that let's say I now get data from you, um, claims data. I might find out you're hypertensive. Um, having met you, I know that's not true, but let's, or, or you're overweight, also very not true. Um, <laughs> but if I know those things about you, but I also now know that you're very motivated by friends, that you love pets, that you like to be outdoors, that you, you, you know, you're a Game of Thrones person. Uh, this, this all tells me that not just when I make recommendations to you um, around, let's say, exercising more to lose weight, if that's part of what I'm doing, it's not just what recommendation I make in terms of what kind of exercise you might be likely to do, which would, might be hiking with friends in the mountains, uh, but also how I talk to you about it in terms of I might create a um, essentially a metaphor for how I talk to you. And in this case, I might use a Game of Thrones, you know, metaphor. You know, don't be, don't end up like Ned Stark, uh, you know, do this, you know, you know, with no head. It's, <laughs> it's that sort of thing. And you would say, that, what, what, why bother with that? And I would say a couple of things. One to make people resonate around behavior change, people have to identify with what you're talking about. And people identify with the elements of their life, just like the technology has to be in their life flow, so does the conversation itself. A good date resolves, revolves around getting to know the other person and then getting interested in their interests, their life circumstances, what's going on with them, what's of interest to them, how they like to talk, what turns them on, what turns them off. And if I can do that, then I can then tailor the conversation at a very intimate level so that not only what I recommend but how I literally talk with the person is resonant with them so that I can both be intimate and relevant at the same time and then continue to learn and continue that process in an ongoing basis, which in the old-fashioned way we call that a relationship, and that as I get to know you better and in that relationship, I can get ever better at making recommendations that can be helpful to you in terms of either content or services or products, and that can be whether it's helping you find a doc, insurance, taking better care of yourself, or, and oh, by the way, when I'm doing that, letting you know when another cool show on HBO is coming on because that's part of your life too. And so that what I'm doing is expanding you from being a claim or a patient or a disease or a risk, and I'm beginning to treat you like person I care about and want to have a relationship with, and in the course of doing that, I both provide value to you, I also provide a sense of connection to you, and by doing both of those things, I provide uh, a desire on your part as well as my part, which is digital, but on both of our parts, to continue the relationship. And if I have that ongoing relationship, the opportunity for me to help you on an ongoing basis much, much, much greater, exponentially greater than me just trying to push information and tell you what you should do or, or refer you to something. Um, and, and that way it also can be referring things to you that are needed by you at the moment. You need them because the things you need today are not the things you'll need three months from now or your circumstances may be different. And so by having that relationship, it not only allows me to have a greater potential 
of you wanting to respond to me, but I'll be able to respond to you with things that are appropriate at your moment of need or your moment of desire. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not just the content of of the messages; it's the sort of structure and format that they're presented, which. Yeah, and and literally the words. I mean, what makes for a great a great evening out versus a bad evening out, or a good book versus a bad book? I mean, it's a, a great evening out versus bad evening out. You're still all just sitting there talking. Well, it can either be fun or not. A good book, it's all just words, but it can either be a great book or it can be horrible book. I mean, so the nuance of communication, the nuance of understanding a person you're with, is incredibly important. And I would actually tell you more important than the health information itself. Mm-hmm. For example, most people do not make health changes, whether it's a benefit change or uh, a behavior change or a medical adherence change based upon their health. There's, we have a lot of values. We have values like family, relationships, career, spirituality, finances. Uh, you know, all sorts of things, self, those are all things that we, as well as health. And if you ask most people to to create a hierarchy of those values, health almost never comes to the top, except for when you're really emergently sick. But for the most part, in terms of the course of your life, you're much more career-oriented or family-oriented or spirituality-oriented or relationship-oriented, those sorts of things. And if I cannot speak to those values, and then speak to you using the metaphors of the, your life as it's meaningful to you, then you're not going to act on it. And I'll give you a very specific example. Uh, I used this at the conference. Uh, a, a, a doc walked up to me and told me about a patient he had who was a completely out-of-control diabetic, who was completely noncompliant around any kind of drug uh, or insulin or any kind of appropriate care, with one exception. He always came to see his doctor every three months. And he then would proceed to sit there and talk with his doctor and have a nice time and then do absolutely nothing the doctor wanted him to do. And so they would just sit there and basically it turned into a let's just shoot the shit kind of moment. And uh, at the last visit, the doctor said, so what are you doing today? And he said, well, I'm going out from here and I'm going to a bass pro shop and I'm buying my grandson a new uh, fly fishing rig for his birthday, and we're going fly fishing tomorrow for his birthday. And the doc looked at him and said, well, I hope you have a good time, but based on your foot exam today and knowing how cold the water is here, you better enjoy it because it's pretty much the last time you're ever going to be able to do that. Uh, Your feet have gotten so bad that you're going to just not be able to do fly fishing with your grandson anymore. At which point the guy said, what? He said, no, he told him again. And he started taking insulin that afternoon because he already had known that he was, his feet were bad. He already knew he could go blind. He already knew that he could have heart disease. Because he already knew all those things. He knew all the health information. But there was nothing contextually important enough to him to make a difference. But now he's very family-oriented. He was sports-oriented. He was focused on his grandson. And, 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 the, and the communication between him and his grandson. And the doctor had now just latched on to something meaningful to that guy. And that's what prompted the action. Now imagine if you can do that digitally by millions of people at a time. 
and then use that to motivate people to take that action, whether it's taking your metformin and maybe even getting connected back up to a live person. And because, you know, I'm not suggesting that digital solves all problems. Sometimes digital is just the concierge to lead you back to people. But if you don't understand the communication at that depth of level, just pushing messages, which is now what everyone is excited to do, whether it's pushing, well, we can push a text message. We can even make it two-way. It's like, but we're still pushing information out, most of it being health information, and it's usually kind of with a finger pointing telling you what you should do. And people, that's not how people respond. It needs to be both, you know, so think of it, you need to think of this more as how can I create the equivalent of eHarmony, you know, a dating app, with Amazon giving me meaningful, relevant choices that are really about me, and then applying that to all the elements of, of a relationship around health and well-being or in a work site to productivity. Yeah. I mean, in thinking about the sort of the potential for technology like this that is so far beyond the very standard marketing stra- marketing and communication, quote-unquote, strategies that, you know, every brand or business takes on, um, it seems like the potential for not only health and population health change, but social change is, like, infinite here. Um, it's it's honestly... Yep, I actually agree. The, the, the technology we're talking about can be play in any vertical. Mm-hmm. You know, this could be in ad tech, it could be in fintech, it could be in, a, in almost anything. It could be around real estate. Uh, but in this case, um, we're really focused on health. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's 20% of the economy. Um, and it's also been an area that's been uh, uh, just tremendously bad in terms of health communication and in terms of looking at engagement and looking at how do you manage behavior. And, and that's important because 50%, 50% of all health care costs, so we're talking about 1.75% trillion dollars, 10% of the economy, is directly tied to the behaviors that consumers make, whether that's around insurance, doctors, networks, personal health behavior, adherence, all sorts of things like that. We're talking about one out of every $10 in the United States is dependent upon consumer behavior. Uh, and probably even more than that when you talk about how that then relates to how that will direct provider behavior. And yet we have spent almost nothing in the health vertical on consumer behavior other than we point our finger and tell them what they should do, and then when they don't behave the way we want, we say, well, this, this kind of stuff, does, this behavior change stuff doesn't work, and it's their fault anyway, which doesn't, you know, point, blaming people has generally not been an effective strategy in most in most verticals. I don't think most people would sell very effectively in, in real estate or in fintech or, or anything else if, if all they did was blame the consumer for being stupid. Uh, and it's their fault they've made a dumb choice. And yet that's, what we, that's how we have built health communication and, and health behavior change and health management in, in this vertical. So, this, so we are ripe with opportunity um, to connect up and radically change people's lives for the better, radically improve the economy doing it, and and um, and 
make a, a, a huge dent in, in the overwhelming escalation of health care costs in the process. So, so, so it's kind of important, I think. Absolutely. So we've definitely yeah. established. I, I feel fairly committed to this. As this is, so for us, this is both, uh, we see this as both uh, mission, uh, very much we're a mission-driven organization in terms of we think we can change the world. We also think that this, by changing the world, we also may do both good, and by doing good, we will do well. Yeah. And we don't object to that either. Yeah. So one last question, um, in, in going off, you know, the massive amounts of opportunity here um, in the next just few years with voice technology, what do you see um, as being maybe one of the biggest barriers to, barriers to integrating this technology into the health product distribution space and how we can push past those barriers to create this change? Um, like m most of healthcare, there is when it comes, particularly when it comes to communication technology, there's there's an inertial dampener. You can, you can speak around anything that's new. Uh, one is, is viewed as this is just marketing. So that there's there's a real dichotomy between the operational part of healthcare, which doesn't see communication as part of its problem, and the marketing part, which does, but is not tied to the delivery side. So I think there are some issues around that when you get into, for example. Uh, the payer world of ins insurers. Uh, so I think there's a, a challenge there. Uh, I think there, uh, how this then gets integrated in, in terms of thinking about this from an employer perspective, is a little bit be, uh, is a little less daunting and a little more opportunity. I think for both the employer themselves and or the brokers who are looking at how can we bring more solutions easily to the employer who's actually writing the check or the consumer who's writing the check um, around the health and productivity of a workforce or a group of people. So I think in that case, it's helping that segment of the community understand that this is all possible. I don't think for the most part, um, there's all, the whole advisor, consultant, broker world even understands that there's a whole world out here of, of these kind of of both health concierge and benefits concierge programs that could be built for them. Uh, and so I think there, there's an awareness barrier. And then I think the last is when I tell people that instead of saying we can write three different versions of a message or 12 different versions of a message, uh, that through this kind of conversational AI you literally create billions and trillions of iterations of conversations that vary on the fly to the needs of the individual, I think some people uh, just can't imagine you can really do that technologically. And, and, and they, have the, they have a hard time wrapping their head around that you can really pull this off. And um, you were at the conference. You saw, you know, we actually do a demo on the fly uh, on how this happened. Um, and that, that, that we, so we, have a, we really have a problem of a barrier of imagination that if people could really believe that what I'm describing is possible, and that way they're open to saying, hey, yeah, if you can pull it off, let's go do it, then that's the biggest leap. Because I would tell you that uh, the tech, three things, the technology is there. That you know, We and I'm sure others will build technology to do that. Second, there is now a greater understanding 
So most in healthcare are not adopting this yet, but for a few of us, we're very much focused on this in the world of behavioral economics to understand that not only do you have to have cool technology, but you then have to have a deep understanding of what makes people tick and behavior, uh, and that understand that behavior is not driven by facts and is not driven by just data, but is driven, driven by contextually relevant information as it pertains to the flow of your life. Uh, and the circumstances of your life, you know, like are you taking care of your mom as well as trying to do other things? Uh, and third, content matters. That if you're going to create this kind of stuff, just like with HBO, it needs to be entertaining. If you want to have a, you know, if you want to have a relationship with somebody, don't bore them. Um, and so you really need technology, behavior change knowledge and the ability to really think through how I create cool conversational content. So that way, when you put it all together, you have a, you have a meaningful relationship on the fly with essentially a digital entity that you're, you actually look forward to interacting with. And that there's a lot of research now that shows that people will imbue a surprising level of humanity to these kinds of devices, if the devices, well, and don't not so much the devices as the conversation, think of the AI, regardless of the, the mode, if that AI is personable and seems to care and is responsive to who and your who you are and what your needs are, and that you will then actually develop feelings and and respond to it in very much a human way, and the way you might think of this is a, you know think of it as Scarlett Johansson as her kind of her for help, um, and though in that case she's essentially human and this is not that, um, you know, I'm not suggesting what we've built here is data from Star Trek, but that you really can build that kind of emotional bond, and out of an emotional bond is where you get behavior change, not through information. And so this is an imagination problem more than it is um, a technology problem. Yeah, and I'm really glad you did hit on those three sort of primary elements that make up these voice assistants, um, that it's beyond the technology, you know, and I remember the first time we chatted, you told me that, that it's, you know, we have the technology, that's, it's not the most important part, you know, incorporating these theories of behavioral economics and in the content and making sure that the content is rich and appropriate per user is really the kind of the bread and butter of how this is all going to work, so I'm glad we... We talked about that. Yeah, the tech. Yes, absolutely. The technology. Uh, Dave Bolger, who designed all the technology for this, the founder of the company, was was not trying to build a tailoring engine. He was trying to solve a problem. And how do I how do I build conversations with people? How do I tailor content to make it meaningful to people, and so that it will resonate and people will act on it? And in the course of trying to solve the problem, he needed to build technology to do it. But that's just the tool. It's not the solution, it's the tool. Exactly. Well, Neil, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today on uh, the M4 Innovation Altitude Sessions podcast. This has been really fun. Um, every time we talk, I learn something new, and you share another story that I didn't hear before, so <laughs> thank you for that. Always happy. Yeah, um, and I'll let you get back to work. My pleasure. Enjoy the day. Enjoy Jackson Hole, and uh, and. Tell any of your listeners, if there's any way I can help them, please feel free to, to reach out, and I'll share anything I can. Certainly. Yeah. Thanks, Neil. Have a great day. Okay. Take care.
life. We just heard from Neil Sofian of Tuzag Inc. Uh, their organization up in Seattle is working with digital AI um, and conversational help through voice assistant technology. So yeah, it's always great to chat with Neil. He always has some really great stories to share. Um, and I also read, which I need to chat with Neil to confirm this, but I did read that in his spare time, Neil does like to uh, do some stand-up comedy in the Seattle area. So I can, after seeing him speak in Atlanta, I can definitely see him comfortable on a stage in front of an audience. Um, so before we sign off for the week, I did want to share my own thoughts about our time in, in Atlanta with Formulate. Um, I was new to the, the meeting, new to the group, so, so definitely was pleasantly surprised with a couple different things that I picked up on. Um, on the networking side of the meeting, I feel like it's just such an awesome open forum for conversation and discussion. Uh, the first day we did have a bit of assigned seats, or assigned sections rather, um, but over the course of the day, you know, seeing um, debate and discussion happen, it was just really great to see you know, others from other sections and tables, the light bulbs go off in their head as someone would you know, casually and, and easily raise their hand and, and um, contribute to the discussion. And, and the other side of the room, someone would be like, oh, wait, who is that? I want to figure out where they're from, um, figure out what they do. And so just watching people move from table to table throughout the whole event was, was really great. Um, and then building on top of that, you know, being that that a, a number of our members are from different corners of the industry, they come to the table with so many different perspectives and sort of realize where, you know, maybe their organization um, is, is challenged or trying to problem solve for a, a challenge that they're facing and then realize, you know, it's a, a completely different um, sector of the health economy that can solve that problem. And I felt like seeing those, again, seeing those light bulbs go off across corners of the room in, in the problem-solving space of our discussions was was really great. So yeah, it was a fun event for me. I'm glad I got to meet a lot of you. Hopefully uh, we can all see each other again, um, perhaps maybe in Jackson Hole for our Formulate event in October. Um, hopefully Brian's gotten some good rest and as we turn to prepare for that large event that is just right around the corner. And yeah, I enjoyed this. So hopefully you guys enjoyed listening. Thanks again and have a great weekend.